Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology. Happy Friday, everyone. Hope you guys are going to have a great weekend. Today we are going to take a look at an uh, aspect that is perfecting over the weekend in the sun, the sun's opposition to Saturn. So sun is in Leo, Saturn is in Aquarius. This is an archetypal tension as old as astrology itself. The lights, the sun and the moon are naturally, uh, they naturally take their home in Cancer and Leo, the signs that are opposite to Saturn signs of Capricorn and Aquarius. So there's an archetypal tension between the lights and Saturn that is built into the construction of the zodiac itself. That'll be um, a part of what we're looking at today, essentially. Um, so it's building over the weekend. It's really perfecting um, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, technically you have it on August 14th, the sun will be opposite Saturn, but you you'll definitely be feeling it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even Monday as, uh, the sun moves through the opposition and start, you know, sort of fades from that opposition into early next week. Okay. So that is what we're going to look at today. Before we get into it, you guys know the drill. Don't forget to like, and subscribe when you do that. It helps the channel to grow. When you share your comments, it helps the channel to grow. Uh, you can always get a transcript of my daily talk on the website, nightlightastrology.com, where you can also check out my readings and courses. And did you know that um, uh, next week we will be launching two new courses? Now, I thought it was going to be this week, but uh, it's just taking a little bit longer than anticipated. There's a lot that goes into building new courses and getting everything set up so that the user experience signing up and registering is nice and smooth and there's no glitches. So we're just slowly working out the kinks and getting it ready to launch. We'll have uh, about a four-week pre-registration sale, uh, and um, there's still going to be a need-based tuition option for the two new courses. I think you'll really like them. One of them is a moon circle. Uh, you can join my wife and I dieting plants and um, working with the astrological energies of each month of 2023, new and full moon circles, and do so, you know, work with those energies, uh, mind, body, and uh, really, you know, sort of take your experience of astrology in in, in a into a much, take it into a much deeper place, hopefully one that leads to a really deep intentional transformation. And that's something that, you know, Ashley and I do in our own lives all the time. It's never something we've really led other people through. So it's, it's going to be really exciting. Uh, we've worked, of course, together with planets and plants for years. Um, in fact, we used to do consults with people where we would, you know, uh, pair planets and plants in astrology and herbal sessions together. Uh, so, but we've never led a full year worth of moon circles where we're pairing astrology and herbal medicine. So I think it's going to be really uh, fantastic. There's a masterclass series that's launching next week as well, where there will be um, four different seminar series, one per quarter, four classes each, so 16 classes on the year on specialized, more advanced topics in uh, ancient astrology. So I hope you guys will check that out as well. More on that next week. All right, let's get into it. Let's take a look at the real-time clock and we can explore the Sun-Saturn opposition. So here you can see it is forming Sun opposite Saturn. This is Saturday, August 13th, but if we move it forward a day, you'll see Sunday. This is by the afternoon. It's just passed over. So really, if we give it the three-degree uh, treatment, you're looking at Thursday, August 11th, all the way through about Wednesday of next week where this energy will be in the air. To me, the applying side is always the one you feel it on. So, you know, Thursday through Sunday, um, this yesterday through the end of the weekend, I think that's when you're really going to notice it. But at any rate, that is what it looks like on the real-time clock, just so you have a feeling for it. Now, this is 
right after the sun is coming off the square to revolutionary Uranus, which we looked at earlier in the week. And when we did so, we talked about five themes and three lessons. We're going to repeat the same thing, uh, rinse and repeat, but now look at it from the standpoint of the sun's opposition to Saturn. So five themes. The first one, liked but not loved. So when it comes to the sun opposite Saturn, one of the things that kind of gets into the archetype, the fundamental reason that the Sun and Saturn are opposed to one another. Saturn was called the ruler of feigned appearances, whereas the Sun was uh, compared to the daimon and the images or that, that, that live in the soul, the imaginal world that calls to us and draws us into a path of destiny and a sense of true calling, real and authentic selfhood as experienced by the living of a life driven by things we love, you know, driven by things that capture our imagination. So when you look at the sun uh, opposite Saturn, one of the things that can come up is it's close to what I like or what I love. Uh, it's close to, to what I love, let's say. Um, but it's kind of a feigned appearance. It's sort of like a, a fake Rolex or something like that. Or like if you go, you know, you go shopping someplace and they'll they'll sell knockoffs or or whatever of like a, a Gucci handbag or something. And you go like it looks like it, but it's not the real thing. Not that I'm <laughs> not that I'm encouraging uh, you know, uh this kind of um materialism, but whatever. Everyone likes to go, everyone shops. So you, you know what I'm saying? There is something in us that wants something so bad. And we have to, but we're constantly being asked whether it's something we, we want as in a life path or a life partner. Uh, we're being asked to refine the desire and the, uh, the actual, uh, the actual experience that we have in relation to the to, to the desire that we have uh, that goes along with it. It's like I want to be an astrologer, um, but I'm not going to settle for being, you know, a type of astrologer that doesn't sort of fulfill the image of what astrologer is and means to me. Right? I'm going to stay true to the image somehow. But when the sun opposes Saturn, one of the things that can come up is like. Like, for example, let me give you a real Sun Saturn part of my life as an astrologer. Horoscopes hate them. <laughs> like, I just hate them. I don't mind monthly overviews, but I don't like Sun and Rising sign horoscopes. Just they make me, they make me kind of want to like throw up in my mouth. <laughs> just I just can't stand them. <laughs> but I have to do them because don't you know, a lot of people like them. And uh, and I don't know why people like mine. I don't think they're very good, but if people like them and it's bringing people in and getting people through the door to learning about astrology in the way that feels more real and authentic to me, then fine. I'll, you know, it's like, it's a compromise. There are lots of things that could represent a compromise of the ideal image or a false version of it, or uh, even a feigned appearance of it. Like for me, uh, you know, I don't go around spending a lot of time. I honestly do not spend a lot of time judging other astrologers, but like there will be certain types of astrology. And I'm, I'm sure this is different for, for everyone. Sure, someone probably look at my astrology and, and say like, oh, that's the gross kind or whatever. But if you, uh, you know, your astrology, you look around and you're like that astrology to me is th that's somehow like a, 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 it's not it. 
right? That's not that's not the ideal image that I have of what astrology is or should look or feel like or something like that. Okay, so this can lead um, to a lot of different things we're going to get into. The same basic idea, for example, has a tie into things like prejudice and conformity um, and other themes. But the, one of the things that you'll see time and time again when the sun is opposite Saturn is like, I have to make a choice. There's the real thing or there's something that's sort of a feigned appearance or, or sometimes, and you know, it's like, it's a, it's a tough choice, like being given a job that pays very well and is sort of like in your field, but the company and the boss and something about it just doesn't feel right. Very sun opposite Saturn. Um, there will be um, things that you like, but you don't love. That's a very sun opposite Saturn kind of feeling. Uh, if you've ever gotten into a relationship with a really nice person, really good looking, but just meh, sun opposite Saturn. It doesn't have to be, it could be Venus opposite Saturn. It doesn't, anything opposite Saturn will often bring up the dichotomy between something that you want or desire or love, and then some kind of uh, shadowy feigned appearance of the thing that you're possibly buying instead or possibly settling for instead, or maybe more nobly learning to make some degree of compromise. Like for example, uh, the sun and Saturn can refer to aging. Well, you know, as we age, it's like, I don't look at my, I don't know, my skin in the same way that I used to, or I don't know. It's just, you know, you guys know how aging is. Some of you out there probably more than others, you know, we're all at different stages of this journey toward death, right? So as we go along, the ideal image of our body is just falling apart and, and crumbling. And we we feel like I like it, but I don't love it. Or you can feel like I have to somehow find the ideal in exactly where I am, even though externally something about the way that I look doesn't quite conform to the image that I have in my head or an image I used to have in my head or something like that. So ideal images and things that block, mar, stain, call into question, uh, that make you feel like the, there's an aberration, a deviation, a, uh, a sense of, um, yeah, a, a, a sense of compromise that has to be made. Like it's not exactly what I want. It's not exactly what I thought it was or I thought I am or something like that. Like but not love is just a general phrase that I came up with to describe this sun-saturn dynamic. hope that makes some sense. Number two would be pride and conformity. It's interesting how uh, the sun has so... we. Where does pride come from? Well, it could be just innate. Like, I have a sense of pride and dignity. And I'm talking now about healthy pride, like self-respect, uh, something like that. A healthy, you know, love and appreciation for one's own self. I have, I have pride in who I am, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, now, there's always, there are pressures throughout life, Saturn and Aquarius, the sun and Leo, very archetypally can represent that in order for, you know, you may have that sense of individual or personal pride. It's often, it can be innate, or it's often rooted in things that we've done or things that we are doing. I've done this, or I'm doing this, and it gives me a sense of purpose, meaning, and healthy self-respect or pride. So, uh, there's not, people sometimes think that pride is a bad word. It's not, it can be like prideful can be, um, you know, just like, uh, uh, anything else, you know, it can be like, um, a good or a bad thing, depending on the, uh, circumstance. So healthy pride here. 
And what I'm, what am I doing with my life? What have I done or what have I accomplished or what am I setting out to accomplish? It gives me a sense of healthy pride. Well, along that path, or whether you have an innate sense of pride or it's rooted in something you've done or are doing, there are going to come, come along people or forces or situations that demand that something about what you're doing, what you've done, or your innate dignity conform to someone else's idea of what is meaningful or prideful or purposeful or uh, worthy of uh, being celebrated or validated, right? And it's like, well, this is natural. I mean, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, probably about middle school, you start realizing that uh, there are social pressures and the, the feeling of having to conform in, in some ways uh, is, is a real thing. Now, there are kids, I remember kids who absolutely total nonconformists. And there were some of them, and you know, I guess in some at some stages in my life, I guess I've I've been more non-conformist than others. Like certainly, you know, in my early 20s, my Christian friends thought I was completely off my rocker because I was drinking psychedelics and uh, the Amazon and you know s stuff like that. So it was like, oh, you know, he's he's gone. You know what I mean? And I was like, I'm not going to conform to just, you, you know, this particular social group's definition of uh, what is valuable or meaningful or, you know, I'm not going to root my sense of self-worth or pride purely in what they think. So there's always times like that in our life. And the sun Saturn is a great, it, it, it perfectly captures the pressure that someone places on us to conform or the potential of some group or social uh, force to uh, be prejudiced against who we are in some way. And so there's, you know, it's like, take a stand, be yourself, don't conform. That healthy sense of pride and dignity. This is, I'm beautiful in, in, in who I am or in what I'm doing or in what I've done. And I don't need your validation. So that can be a very sun opposite Saturn kind of thing. On the other hand, there were kids I remember, and I probably been this way myself at times in life, the nonconformist kids who were just obnoxious, you know? And there's a difference. It's really, it's not really in what a person is doing that's with or against some other group as much as it is in my experience, how they carry it. How do you, how do you carry whatever sets you apart? Sun opposite Saturn can be the difference, the mark, the stain, the, or the unique uh, piece of us, either any way you want to look at it that sets us apart. Well, if you carry that with like a chip on your shoulder, like a vendetta and a, a grudge and kind of like a, <clears throat> I don't know, like a, 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 def, a oppositional defiance complex or something like that, very sun opposite Saturn, people will probably find you obnoxious because even though, you know, people, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, for example, um, when I, when I first started working with psychedelics, there were a lot of people in the psychedelic community, for example, that would look at people who hadn't taken psychedelics as like sheep, you know, like, oh, look at that. Like, and it's like, well, those, those, there's a lot of people who haven't taken psychedelics who aren't looking at you like there's anything wrong with you because you have. So why would you look at them? As the, why would you look at them and think there's anything wrong with them because they haven't, you know? And, and, and so it's like, it's, it's very easy to, with sun opposite Saturn to get into like oppositional defiance uh, complex, which I think is actually like a, I think it's actually like a psychological diagnosis or something. So I don't mean to be using that like clinically. It's just a phrase that somehow popped into my head. So, um, so you have to be really careful with that because 
you know, on some level we have to conform and on some levels we have to resist conformity and the tension between those two things tend to come up when the sun is opposite to Saturn. Uh, so again, hopefully we're ma <laughs> making sense here. Number three, steady, determined, creative effort. Sun and Saturn is like uh, the contraction of labor. It, it's contractive, but there's something like a, like a magnum opus or going into some kind of fugue state creatively. You go into a state where there's a ton of pressure. There's a ton of constraint. Like I remember when I was writing my book, I mean, I, I had my schedule where like I did my yoga in the morning. I went to my nine to five job. I came home and I wrote until bedtime with like a little bit of time for dinner. And then I rinsed and repeat and repeated in that. And I did that for like a year of my life, you know, and that was not fun. It was creatively fulfilling, but it was it was a very contractive, focused, creative uh, cauldron. You know, I was in a, a, a focused, creative cauldron, I guess. So steady, determined, creative effort, contraction, constriction, ultimately as a, a part of something that's trying to express itself that has to do with your sense of calling or purpose or destiny, very sun opposite Saturn. Um, it can also be about uh, challenges to health or vitality, by the way. Uh, that same quality of the contraction around the sun can be a contraction of vitality or life force. You have to watch for that, like headaches or exhaustion or depression or feeling like there's a cloud hanging over your, your sunshine, so to speak. Number four is the old man slash woman. The sun opposite Saturn can just represent time, wisdom, age, and experience, which is interesting. Uh, it can also represent the conservative nature of older people. We don't like change or something like that. So you can think of the wisdom of age, time, maturity, and experience as a, a, like a source of light and uh, wisdom. The sun is rejo rejoices in the ninth house, the place of higher knowledge. So we, we know that the sun was thought of by ancient astrologers as the noetic light, the light of gnosis, of, of knowing of real knowing and age and time have a way of, of like a wise elder has that kind of old and they look close. They look close. To, they're, they're near winter, you know, they're, they're close to death, but still there's a luminous quality. There's a, like a light quality, even though the body is frail. I think for example, of Thich Nhat Hanh closer to death, he still just looked like this little ball of uh, light, you know, um, he's, diminutive, uh, short, really short guy. But um, at least I I perceive that in the video. I guess I've never seen him in person, but I've always seen him in videos. Like he's short. And um, and by the end of his life, you know, it was really, he just looked really like, like old, like very Saturn, you know? But then there's just this big, like this huge light that his stature feels, uh, you know, 20 stories high and just sunny. And that's just because of the the sweetness. I mean, he'd just been cooked in his uh, practice of Buddhism his whole life and probably lifetimes. So there's something about the, like, like time does not just mean entropy. In some cases, time and the process of time and is about refinement and gives greater depth to what is bright or luminous, like an elder. On the other hand, you've got all the contractive, bitter, unchangeable, you know, boring, mundane, uh, life-limiting or inhibiting qualities. That leads to number five, inhibitions and prohibitions. 
I'm afraid to shine, very sun opposite Saturn, or I'm trying to shine, but someone or something is blocking me. So inhibitions and prohibitions, you know, watch. It could also be just frustration. Oh, I had this great picture of where things were going to go, but there's a, a block. You might have to deal with that. And just a feeling of um, being misunderstood. That's very easy for, uh, you know, like uh, the inhibition part that I'm mentioning here, sun opposite Saturn can feel like, oh, I just, I feel like people don't understand me. And that can go best, goes back a little bit to that topic of pride and conformity. Anyway, just a few themes. I hope they are useful. Let's talk about three lessons that I think come along with them. Um, again, I pick these lessons out of my own experiences and observations from my own life, as well as students and clients over the years. Uh, so number one, love is bitter and sweet. I think it's important to understand that uh, this is very similar to, to what I was saying about the old man and woman. Um, there's a way in which, you know, we, we tend to be, in my experience, is talking to people over the years and observing my own psyche through my spiritual practices. We are really programmed in the like modern West to think of things along uh, moral dichotomies, good and bad, good and evil, good guys and bad guys. Um, and there, there's certainly... Uh, that's a dimension of experience, of course, that's, that's very real. Uh, but um, there's there's also a call in all the great spiritual traditions to learn how to see the world and our experiences beyond the duality of good and bad. Uh, that things are more than just good and bad, that they can be both simultaneously and they can also be meaningful, which is different than good or bad you know, oftentimes that that, that word is, is it's a really helpful word to describe uh, experiences from an archetypal uh, or psychological or uh, astrological perspective. What was that experience like with Saturn that you had? It was interesting. <laughs> I learned a lot. It was thought provoking. I appreciated it. It was beautiful, but not beautiful as in good. Beautiful in the same way that a challenging but thoughtful and artistic movie is beautiful. So, uh, you know, love, there's something about the sun and Saturn that speaks, uh, speaks to me about the, the labor of love and that what we love is often, you think of like the passion of the Christ, that whole, that, that sort of archetypal motif. It's something that you suffer. That there's a, su a suffering that comes with loving. I think, for example, of having kids and the fact that I heard someone say this before I had kids, which was that having kids was like having your heart outside of your chest walking around. Um, and I feel that way. Like as a parent, I feel that way. When I watch my kids walking around the world and I think, you know, what if something happened to them or my wife or the things with time that I develop a very deep love for, they become more fragile even as the love becomes stronger and deeper and more profound. Uh, and not fragile as in weak. I don't know what the word is. Delicate, tender, sensitive. Uh, and um, hmm. so anyway, I'm just, it's, I mean, I can just, I can go right into it. Um, so there's something about, there's something about love that in order for it to be sweet, there's got to be a little bit of that bitterness. 
And what the heart loves, if you think of the sun in Leo as telling us something about the heart and what it wants or what we feel we are or what we want to do or what we've done that we really feel is special. It's the totem on our shelf, you know, and the, the soul loves to look at it or touch that, th those stories, those images. Um, probably those images are, you know, th those things that we're most proud of, those things that we love the most are probably filled with some pain. There's probably been suffering involved. Um, so don't, it's, it's a really good, it's a simple thing. So Hafiz, you know, Rumi, so many poets have written about it. Love and separation, that there's, uh, there's a hurt that goes along with really profound love. And it tends to go beyond, real love tends to go beyond heroic narratives about good and bad. They, real love somehow takes us, although it often includes dimensions of morality, it, it often goes right beyond it somehow. Uh, and it, and, and it, it is very willing to, to, to accommodate like pain and darkness. That's a Sun-Saturn thing, I think, in part. Number two, home isn't where the heart is. This is a weird statement, but it was one that came to me as I was meditating on today, before today's talk. And um, I just thought about it like this. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Minnesota. And part of my story, and I wrote about this in my book, was that I lived in a small town, kind of northern Minnesota, a little bit north of the Twin Cities. And that town to me was as idyllic as like Lake Wobegon, you know, Garrison Keillor's like, it, it was just this idyllic Midwest town. And, you know, I was the preacher's kid at the church. I had friends at school. I was sort of like a well-adjusted relatively. I, I hung around with a lot of different groups of people. I did a lot of different things. I kind of knew who I was and the world was, it was a smaller pond. You know what I mean? And there were the football games on Friday nights. Yeah, the whole town was out for the football games. I and I just I grew up in that space, and the world was like manageable. And then you know my dad got a promotion. We moved to a big suburb. I was in a big school. Uh, I started getting teased and bullied pretty bad during high school. Uh, it was like um, it was a it was a really rough ride. And suddenly, <clears throat> you know, it that that catapulted me on a very very long, you know. Uh, a feeling of never really being home again until we moved back to Minnesota just a couple of years ago as uh, Pluto opposed to my son in cancer, who happens to be the ruler of my fourth house of home and family. So is that coming home? And as I've been back in Minnesota and I'm feeling home again, you know, <laughs> but um, I'm also realizing that the real home was, was in my heart right? All along. So, you know, in a sense that the literal location of home, uh, uh, the literal location of home wasn't, that was not where, uh, although for a long time it was very painful and I thought I had like lost a part of my soul, you know, but in traveling so far afield, living in so many different places, going to the Amazon, exploring, you know, opening my faith to other parts of the world and other cultures and religious traditions, learning astrology, you know, getting married, starting a yoga studio in DC, all these things that happened in my life. And finally, you know, kind of come, come full circle. And there's this like, you know, I return to this place. And I, I realized that, um, 
nothing about this literal location, although it's really nice to be here again. And I do feel kind of like I'm home again, but it, it also makes me realize that, um, you know, there's the, 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 the physical location is never it, right? The physical location is just not it. But then the other thing that's also true is that my heart at the time that I left was also not what it is now. So I think there's one of the reasons I chose this kind of provocative frame, home isn't where the heart is, is because, um, you know, there's, it's like, it's, it's not like your, your heart is not a static thing, you, you know? I mean, it's, it's a living, even the organ, even the physical image of the organ of the heart, it's a beating thing. It's a, it's a constant, it's a thing that's in constant motion. And so I, I think that there's something like we're like, our hearts are like satellites that orbit around familiar centers and then they go eccentric and they leave that orbit, that familiar orbit. And eventually they find another one. And so uh, to me, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to explain. Maybe this is uh, too abstract of a thought, but it's just the feeling that my heart is not a static entity any more than this place was the thing that was making me happy. You know, it's, it's, um, people, when people say home is where the heart is, I think what they're getting to is like, you know, you're, you're, it's not about the house you live in or the neighborhood or the community. It's about the home of your heart. And that I, I obviously agree with. But the other thing is that, sometimes people act as though the heart is the static thing that never changes. And I think what's most exciting is that the heart is naturally a wanderer. The heart is naturally a, some, a, a living being that is changing and dynamic. And so there's also, uh, there's a sense that like, you know, when I lived in New York City, I moved apartments like a lot. There was, I felt like every year I was there, I moved apartments. So there's like three or four moves just within three years of living in New York City. I think our hearts are like that too. I'm just not sure that the heart is actually like, okay, well, you know, your house may change, but your heart never will. It'll always be home. It's like, yeah, in a, in a sense, I get that. Like our eternal nature is always there. But what's also so exciting about our eternal nature is that it is also always changing and new and different. And I don't know, if I, I, I feel like home... It's just such an interesting, like home is an experience, isn't it? At the end of the day. And it's an experience that the heart likes to have. But I don't know that a physical location is a home, or I don't know that the heart is a home for us any more than a physical location is. Um, it's like they're, you know, in some sense, we are perpetual wanderers. We're like, we're, we're little orbiting satellites that find temporary places to orbit around. And then we we keep moving. And it's part of feeling at home to me, I guess what I'm realizing over the years is getting used to the rhythm. You know, it's like, like the beating that there's a rhythm of like feeling at home and feeling alien, feeling other, feeling like a wanderer, feeling like a nomad. And I guess you can, if you can get home in that, then there is something like a, a home in the heart. But I, I, I want to stand up for wandering, you know, for, uh, you know, it, it's like, um, even in yogic language, well, like, like I think it was Ramdas who said, we're all just walking each other home, you know, like that, like there's this eternal place. And once we're there, you know, you never leave. And, and that's nice, but I suspect that 
that there's that that because life itself is dynamic and moving and living like a heart is beating that the alternation between feeling at home and feeling alien ex exploring feeling nomadic being adrift even in the heart is important somehow it's not just a derivation or a fallenness or a lostness or something like that okay maybe that was just way too out there so anyway uh number three what is age if all souls are eternal there's so much about the sun saturn that has to do with the wisdom of age and time and experience but just think about this question i'm not going to give you an answer i think it's just a good question to ask it's one that i have found myself asking um, more than a few times just in you know kind of prayer or meditation or it'll just come up as this kind of like cohen or something what is age like we have a human definition of age like my grandpa is like an elder in, in like human terms that there's, that means something. Right. Um, but let's just imagine sometimes in new age circles, people will say you're an old soul. What if all souls were eternal and there was no birth of souls or no death of souls so that there's, there's literally no way of categorizing the age of a soul. What if all souls are just eternal? Right. So just start with that premise. Um, then what is age, right? What, what is age? I, one answer might be that it's an archetypal experience, not that it is uh, a mark of merit uh, or that it's uh, a distinguished, you know, trophy that you get to hold over other people, but that it is a kind of experience or a kind of perception. I wonder how much things would change if we looked at all structures of society or society. <laughs> what if we looked at all elements of the social fabric of life that take some sense of power over others because of their time, age, experience, longevity, tr tr their traditional sense of having been around for a long time or whatever. And what if, what if we applied this idea, right? That, well, actually everything is archetypal and therefore everything is equally timeless. Everything is, there's nothing that's really older than anything else. Then what is tradition, right? It's a kind of experience. It's a, it's a kind of archetypal way of viewing or experiencing. Um, that's the only meaningful answer that I've had, but I, to me, I think it's a really beautiful and interesting question to ask because Sun Saturn will often bring up distinctions between authority, time, experience, seniority, things like that. Um, and uh, it's a really interesting question to ask. Like, what does a claim to authority based on time mean if all souls are equal? Now, I'm not saying that like a doctor who's done all this training uh, is less qual just as qualified as someone who's done no training. Uh, it's nothing like that. It's, it's more existential than that. It's like, well, what, what is this experience of age, wisdom, time, maturity? Uh, what is it if all souls have always been and will always be? Um, I think that it's just, to me, it's a, it's a, I get, I, again, I, I have working answers. I don't have an, the answer or anything like that. So I think it's a, it's a question that's worthy of meditation. Anyway, I'm now feeling like some of my uh, my my insights today were um, 
it's almost like I did LSD or something before I wrote these. <laughs> but uh, whatever. I hope you guys, I hope you guys enjoyed them. Don't forget to like and subscribe, share your comments, click the notification bell for updates. Hope you guys are having a good day. Have you have a great weekend, and don't forget to leave your stories. Uh, use the hashtag grabbed or email grabbed at nightlightastrology.com. I'd love to hear how the sun and Saturn shows up for each of you. And uh, feel free to philosophize uh, in the comment section about uh, your own ideas about the sun, Saturn, especially if you have it in your birth chart. I'd love to hear what you guys think. All right, take it easy, everyone. Bye.